It breaks my heart. And I love the song and I hate the song because it has that part. Because it all of a sudden it presses in the Father's heart. Might cause you to want to be a, like a guy hater because sometimes the fatherless who they don't they're their daddies but they're not daddies they're not fathers they're not fathers in the in what God has ordained for a father to be. Instead, what happens is if you if you yield the flesh, the spirit of God will give you a burden for the men who are failing so miserably. And they might even think they're a good dad. That's the problem. Because they do certain things. But the kids need so much more than what money could buy. So I guess I can't really preach until we get through this little place. Because it's not the message, but sort of is, I guess. So I'm just going to invite you to think about the condition sometimes of the family. I want you to consider the fatherless. Did you know April's, uh, I think I heard that it's a month of, of uh, against child abuse. I think so many kids who are fatherless and who maybe even have fathers, maybe they're even in their homes or in their lives, but parents are so consumed with their own lives that they're not actually training up their children. They're not releasing their children into the greatness that God has put into them. They're not living in that greatness themselves, so they can't impart any greatness because they're so confused and lost, confounded, and so busy that the kids are, they called them latchkey kids years ago, raising themselves, not being led or steered. And some parents will say, well, I want them to grow up making their choices. I want them to be free to to do those things. That's just a bunch of malarkey is what mama used to say. That's lame. If you don't show them, you think they're actually going to discover that? What they'll discover is everything else that the flesh wants, and that's how they'll live their lives. They'll be hardened, they'll become hardened, they'll become cynical, they'll become sadistic. Opinionated, against authority. That's true anarchy. And we kind of see that even with the Occupy movement. How did they get to be like that? Because nobody told them. They just allowed them to kind of formulate their own attitudes. Man, you know, there's an old saying, leaders have to lead. Well, parents have to parent. So, you know, here's the deal. Big brother, big sister kind of idea. What a cool idea. Um, Big buddy. Think about that, that some of you, you've raised your children and you've got grandchildren, but grandchildren might live somewhere else. 
maybe we need to do a little bit of adoption. We need to be doing a little bit of, it always touched my heart. I heard, uh, I know that Terry, uh, that Joseph and Matthew, that Joe Sadowski pick them up or do things with them and include them. And you're a, you were a single parent at that time. And, um, you know, that's never lost. I don't think that's ever lost. It's not lost on the recipient. It's not lost on the person who chooses to do that, to reach out. And, because they always, they'll touch something in your life and make it better. So, can we say a prayer for the fatherless before we move on? Burdette, you're a daddy. You want to pray for the fatherless? searching for them, and Lord, I, I pray that the mothers will be able to lead them in the right direction, and so they come to the full knowledge of who you are, and that you are the father of that child, and Father, I pray for those fathers who can't be with their children, who are, are overseas, Lord, that uh, they are imparting something to their children, even if it's through the internet, that you are so awesomely creative, and so Father, we just thank you that uh, you don't leave us, you don't forsake us. Father, we thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for all these children's lives and all these fathers. And uh, I just pray that um, in the end, you will be glorified in all those things. Amen. How about somebody else have that spirit on them? You want to pray? Then we'll just give you opportunity right where you're at. Anybody? So let's do something different. You ready for that? <clears throat> I think I'm oriented the right way. That's north. Does that sound right? Maybe right there is north, toward the map. 
Okay, so that's north, that makes this south, that makes that west, that makes that east. Okay, though I'm backwards. So could you stand up? You know the scripture says, I will say to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west, give them up. Or we can say, give them back. So would you face to the north is over there? And then we're going to do about face, which means turn into the south. And then we're going to hit the east, which is turning to our right as we're looking at the map, and then to the left. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to do something with your fist, because the fist is a sign of what? Authority, power. It's also something that when I get angry, I usually make a fist. (laughs) So we're going to say to the north, and then we're going to say to the south, and then to the east and the west, and we're asking God to do something with just our obedience right here in this moment to say, God, would you give them back? Sons and daughters, moms and dads, Lord, we we just speak right now and agree with your power of your word that you would begin in our little obedience this morning that, God, we look to the north and we say to the north, give them back, give them back. And, Lord, we look to the south. Lord, we say to the south, we say, give them back. Give them back. And we look to the east. We holler and we say from the east that you'd give them back. Give them back in the name of Jesus. Give them back. And we look to the west. And we say to the west, we say, give them back. Give them back in Jesus' name. Redeemer. Restore, renew covenant, renew purpose and vision. Put your greatness into the hearts of those who have wandered, those who have strayed, those who have been blinded, those who have never seen the light. God, bring bring the light into every dark situation, into every gray situation, into every dim situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. <clears throat> we don't, uh, we don't, these antics, they're not, this isn't about antics. This isn't about some, some sort of uh, show stuff. You know, believe it. You are declaring the things that are not as though they are. You are taking scripture and the power of the word of God and you're saying, yes, let's see it alive in a very specific area. Amen. That goes to brothers and sisters. That, that goes to across the board. Folks, we've been talking about it for so long. Part of the issue is, is that the church needs to begin to see people getting saved. The church needs to see people beginning to give their hearts to, to God in, in its fullness. Not holding back, not keeping something back in reserve like a rainy day kind of fund, a little rainy day kind of, you know, i got to have some strength for then. I can't spend it all here. No, you stop that. Begin to exhaust yourself into those things. We said back three weeks ago or so, we talked about you got two weeks to live. That's talking about the, the, the coming crucifixion, if you will. So you had two weeks to live. What are you going to do with the, the, those two weeks? How are you going to change in those two weeks? And then because let's say we get through those two weeks, we said when... When it comes, how are you going to live? What's your resurrected life going to look like? 
So the question is, is before we move on from the cross, before we move on from the grave, we really have to address that issue because maybe nothing really happened at all. And the reason is, is some of you might not have been here for the hearing, but the other is, is that we didn't really take it seriously. and We didn't really do anything. I don't know. Meant to, thought about it, considered it. Just life is just this rut. Nothing really ever changes hard. Let's just have a beer. Let's just pop some pills. Let's just go make ourselves busy with life. So, I guess I need this one. That's the keynote right there. One page. It's just an extra large page. Let me ask you, what's your status? How many of you do Facebook? How how many? Let me see. Now, somebody, I don't know who, but somebody made a comment last night and said that Facebook was of the devil, and I'm not beating anybody up. I'm not going to agree, disagree, or otherwise. I don't know who it is because it was anonymous. Um, And yes, it is. And marijuana is of the devil, and drugs are of the devil, and everything you can say, everything has some element of devil because the devil wants to pervert everything. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter. You can make homemade shepherd's pie, and it can be perverted. You get the idea? Vegetables you put into the ground can become perverted. So here's the deal. I just want to tell you that in this case, you can use everything about our life for good or for bad. And everything is used for good or bad. The issue is what do you do with it? It always comes pointing the finger right back at moi. They're not the problem. Moi, I'm the problem. You see that? It's how we use what is available that's part of the whole problem. That's what we've got to do as, as disciples, as Christians. We've got to live a life set apart no matter what. See? Otherwise, you can try to sterilize your life. That was called the Quamron community. Anybody here to, heard of the Quamron community? They were basically the first order of monks. That's going to be my simple explanation for them. It's where the Dead Sea Scrolls, they felt like they were preserved and placed by the Quamron community. And it was basically a walled community that they just decided that they're going to follow Jesus and forget all this stuff of the world. And, and that's good. The problem is we're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. So you can call yourself and set yourself apart and try to build a brick wall around you and put in some ventilation and all that. But the truth is that's really not. He wants us to be the lights in the midst of darkness. That means we have to engage our culture. That means we have to be out there in the midst of it. See? So, irregardless, but here's the deal. What's your, what's your status? It's appropriate. It's a good question. What's your status in, with life? What's your status with the job? What's your status with faith? What's your status with family? What is your status? Good? It is what it is, bad, indifferent. What do you think? What's your status? Anybody want to take a shot? Give me on a scale of, uh, well, usually, what do you do for your status? Going to McDonald's, um, going dancing, doing this, doing that. You're trying to tell some part of your life. What do you think? Every now and then I read some posts that tell what your status is, and it tells it's not very good. I hate doing jokes. What would you say your status is? 
fine. Anybody think your status is like terrible? This morning it's just like, eh. What do you think? No? Well, what has he resurrected? If you've actually experienced resurrection life, what did he resurrect in your life? What? Anything? Gratitude? What else? Joy, grace, hope? Yes? Everything. Complete turnaround. What else? Healing, peace. How about the idea that he can do whatever he wants? Everything is still possible with him. That's what the resurrection really proves is it shuts the mouths of all the naysayers. See? Once for all. Oh, Lazarus, he wasn't really. This was just a, it was a skit. That's what it was, a skit. And it wasn't a skit. It was a real deal. The guy really, was, he really stank. Is that a word? Stank. He stanked it. Well, how about this? How about the idea that the devil has been on this thing from the very beginning, and that's called identity theft? Huh? Identity theft. So I'm calling today as identity theft the real crime. See? How many of you have had to deal with identity theft, or you know somebody who has? Anybody? You do? So quite a, there's quite a few of you in the room. So you might know what kind of trauma they went through. I remember when Arlene had her purse stolen, and we had to go through, and it was at work, by the way. People she worked with. This was up in New York. That's, you know, just the way it is. No. Um, they stole her, her, uh, her purse, and then it was like within 20 or 30 minutes they were using it. At a, they tracked it. They knew. So she called immediately because it was right here, and now it's not here. And it turned out one of the people, the employees there, they went right out, and they, were, they bought gas and, and Twinkies and whatever else they bought. And it was like, wow. And because of that, because everything in her wallet, you know, her Social Security card and all the other identification, we had to, she had to stop and cancel all of life, if you will, and reboot. She had to, she had to reacquire everything in that case. What a, it was just a real hassle. If you guys, you've dealt with family or friends or you've had it happen to you, you know what identity theft, what it does to you. And part of it, it's almost like being broken into. How many of you have ever had your houses broken into and you've had something stolen? Everybody ought to have that feeling once in their life. Because you know what it's like? It's probably very close to some level of, of being stalked or raped. Because somebody's been in your private residence and they know things about you that you didn't invite them into. There's an abuse there. See? And so what happens is you're, you're kind of always wondering. You're wondering what they know. You wonder if they're coming back. See, you violated. Well, how many of you struggle with who you are? Or how you are? Anybody? I'm not seeing many hands raised. Maybe you're sitting on them. Here, wave them in the air for me. There you go. Because I'm really talking with us here today, okay? So when I ask you a question, I'd prefer for you to at least fake it. Yeah, well, that's good. If you're not now, that's a good place. How do you feel about yourself, your life? 
It's very important because what we need to do is we need to have a godly mindset toward who we are, who we are in Christ. And that's not just a Sunday morning kind of good feeling because we had some good worship and we had a little cleansing time. It's something you have to do the other 166 hours of the week. You have to live in light of that. And when something hits you in the face, you have to be able to be resilient enough to know that, hey, I'm okay. My status didn't change because my situation changed. Get it? I don't need to change my status three or four times a day. My hope, see, I'm stayed on Jehovah. See, if you'll do that, guess what? All that other stuff happens, but I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What's that mean? I'm going to have his godly perspective on it. So in 2011, there's this group called Javelin Strategy and Research. And other companies, by the way, uh, security and safety, they, they, they look to Javelin Strategy and Research. It says fraud, uh, identity fraud increased by 13% last year. More than 11.6 million adults became a victim of identity fraud in the United States. By the way, social media and mobile behaviors using cell phones and smartphones, that is uh, what put them even at a greater risk. Be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Let's go to Matthew 27. Okay, now that you're there, I'm just going to turn to John. Don't You don't have to go there just with me necessarily. I don't know. Uh, John 20, verse 11, is where Mary Magdalene, she first, she's one of those who comes to the, to the uh, tomb, right? So we're going to read just a few things there as we go, go forward. It says in uh, 20, verse 11, chapter uh, 20 of John, It says, Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. She saw someone standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, I don't know, I'm not ready to go into that today a whole bunch, but I just wanted to throw it out there to to whack your brain a little bit. See, there's a a little dilemma in verse 17. 
There's a little dilemma because one thing is, is what Jesus, though we know that he had, he had the, the nail prints and he had the, you know, he had the, the wounds from the cross and from the crucifixion that in this case concealed or whatever it was, but standing right there, she didn't recognize him. Do anybody remember Mary Magdalene? What, what was about Mary Magdalene? What made her special? Anything? Yeah. He, she has, he knows her and she knows him, right? Somebody cast seven devils out of you. Don't you think you know them? Huh? You're going to remember that face. What makes Jesus unrecognizable right here? Wasn't expecting him. Maybe to look like that. Maybe surprised her. What else? Well, that's good, but he says, stop clinging to me. Pretty hard to cling to the Spirit, isn't it? So what happens is, is that he's in some state we're going to call an intermediate state. He's in this thing where he's not who he was and he's not who he's going to be. And he's in this place and says, wait, stop, wait a minute. Folks, that describes you and me. We might have been saved and we're in some intermediate state. We're not who we're going to be, but we're not who we used to be. Do you get it? That'll mess with you a little bit. And it's one of those things that commentaries don't want to touch a whole lot because the implications are amazing. But the one thing about it, it just says, I can identify with this. I may not be recognizable to my old self, but there's still parts of who I am that I'm still walking around. Do you get it? Don't you find that's your own dilemma? It's the reason why some days you're on glory cloud and other days you're in the pit. You're back in the miry clay and there's nothing separating you from from anything else or anyone else. And so I've been up here and I've been down there and I'm confused and I'm there all the time at any given time. Why? Because I haven't yet ascended. And I'm not who I was, but I'm still in the process. See, the cross is a process. Amen? So between the resurrection and the glorified, there was a brief delay, there's a pause, or there's this transition that has to happen. You and I are on a journey to transition from this life into the life where God has ordained for you and I to live forever. Stop trying to delay it. So, okay, back to Matthew. Most of these are in your scripture. If not, you can have my notes and preach it better than I do. Here's, here's, what, here's what happens is we have that voice that shouts, and we got that voice that's just a whisper, right? And here's something. We got to go back to the cross. We got to go back before and see what was happening to Jesus and see what happens sometimes to you and I and find out why we sometimes would have an identity crisis, see, an identity crisis. So let's look at these key words. I'm starting in Matthew 27, verse 11 is actually where the narrative starts, but I don't have time for all that, okay? So I'm going to kind of jump through these. You just have to follow quickly. Don't sit there and try to read. Just follow quickly with me, okay? Here it is in verse 11, chapter 27 of Matthew. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. 
And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner who they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, key words here, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. So the governor said to them, Which of these two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Crucify him. And then I'm going to come on down, jump down to verse 27 with me. It says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Okay? By the way, we're leading into communion, so just this is totally relevant for for communion. They stripped him and put a scarlet, scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him and took the the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. So then it goes on and talks about Golgotha. It talks about Simon, who's going to put in into uh, carrying the cross with him. And it says they divided up his garments in verse 35. Verse 36 says, And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified, one on the right, one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads. I don't know what wagging your head looks like in that sense. It's a nanny, nanny, poo, poo kind of thing or what, but wagging their heads saying, you who are going to destroy the temple, remembering what he said about the glorious temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross in the same way. The chief priests also along with the scribes and elders were mocking him. And saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Now, if he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Wow. He's not even nailed up there just yet, huh? Just like all these things that are happening, that it's, it's all on the path and the journey, and it doesn't stop. Even in when we, we pick up in there, verse 34, 36, where he, he's now he's nailed to the cross, and now they hang the sign, and all these things are happening. 
See, his character was always being questioned. Who he was was always being questioned. He was always under the, the, the scrutiny of the accuser. Do you know that's the way you and I live our lives? We're always under the scrutiny of the accuser who's always telling you how fat you are and how ugly you are and how stupid you are and telling you how unworthy you are and questioning if you're even saved anymore. Questioning if you're going to be secure. If Questioning it just got you all in a turmoil, see? And if Jesus wasn't Jesus and didn't have the faith and absolute resolve and trust in his Father, he would have been like you and I look sometimes. So here it is. Some of us are being robbed of your spiritual identity. You're being robbed of your spiritual identity. And it happens every day and it happens in different places in your work and it happens in your families and it happens across the board. Why? Because the accuser of the brethren, he's still out there and still active. And guess what? Like the video said, he will not shut up. He continues to shout and their accusations. And what it's meant to do is come against God's creation, come against God's kids. See? He doesn't want to honor God. He can't honor God. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's full of lies. It's his very nature. So here it is. Being robbed of your spiritual identity is a result of accusation. Do you know what happens after you get accused enough and you don't come against that? You don't take those thoughts captive? you begin to accuse yourself. And once you begin to accuse yourself, what you'll fall prey to is accusing other people. So all of a sudden, you'll start being critical and tear down and destroy, and you use your mouth to beat up on other people. See? That's gossip, and that's rumor. And that's a critical spirit. And that's not pleasant to God. And so in James, he says, right, how can both this pretty stuff and then this ugly stuff how do we get both out of the same mouth? Why is it that you have this right here? Run your life. Huh? Why do you let that run your life? So accusation. The next one is guilt or shame. Because after a while, when he heaps on accusation, you know what else happens? After enough of that, you believe, begin to believe it, and then you run into this whole guilty phase. And because of this guilty phase that you have this great shame. And because of this great shame, you don't want to go out in public. You don't want to be seen. You don't feel like you're worthy. You can't take communion. Who do you think you are? He's sick and tired of hearing from you repenting. He wants you to get over it. No, that's not what the father says. That's what the accuser says. So after guilt and shame, what happens is many times we go to sleep. We end up going into some slumber, some spiritual slumber. It's like somebody needs to smack us and wake us up. Go ahead, smack yourself a little bit. It feels pretty good. Huh? You know why? Because sometimes you got to say, self, come on, let's go. The other thing that leads to to you losing your spiritual identity is indecisiveness. You can sit there and they were losing their, their faith and their identity in the upper room in a most holy, sacred sanctum. They were there and it was prayer and it was like, whoa. And he says, get out of here. What I tell you to do, take it out there and give it away to the people. 
So indecisiveness. Well, as you think it's ready, you think we should be leaving yet? I don't know. I don't really feel safe. You know what they just did to Jesus? Gosh, I think we ought to stay back and pray a little more. What's he say? Get out of here. Will you go, 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 go? Judea and Samaria and the uttermost? Come on. Which one are you supposed to go to the uttermost? Yeah, you go to the uttermost. Can you see? It's time to scatter them. You know how he did it? Real persecution. Because they had it going on up here, but they didn't have it going on in their physical reality because they they had stepped back and they were indecided about what they were going to do. Indecision will allow you to lose your identity because you lose your vision, you lose your motivation, the inspiration, that which God put in your heart. Didn't our hearts burn within us? Boy, you got to keep that heart burning within you that says, this is what I'm called to. This is what God told me. This is what he wants of me. I'm not letting anything else. I'm, I'm everything in him. I can do this. You know why? Because with man, it's impossible. God, everything's possible. So, indecisiveness. The next one is ignorance. People perish for lack of knowledge, right? Lack of vision. So, one of the problems that will help us, will lose our spiritual identity is ignorance. If you don't know who you are in Christ, who Christ is in you, if you don't understand what he's intended for you, the life that he wants you to live, that is a victorious life, a resurrected life, we'll continue to stumble around and mumble and fumble and, and just, you know, what's the word I want to use there? It's like slobbering on yourself. He wants you to do something. He wants you to be like like going after it. I know who I am in Christ. I know what he's called me to. There's certain things that I can say I'm not certain about. But at some point, set your gate. And it says a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs the steps. If your heart is whacked out and you're not following him, he'll redirect your steps. That's what he says. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. So get moving. That's what he's saying. Get moving. Live the resurrected life. Stop dealing with and licking old wounds back here. You keep like a dog returning to the vomit. Stop it. The next one that, that, that will cause you to lose your spiritual identity is arrogance. Well, I thought you just said I had to be like this. Yes, but there's a difference between knowing what you're called to and this arrogance and this pride and this place where all of a sudden you begin to look at other people and you diminish them so that somehow you look better. I'm scanning the room. I'm just checking it out here. Seeing if any scumbags are in here. If you're a scumbag, would you raise your hand? See, we had a visitor to Life Tree Cafe last night. Oh, boy. Some of you were caught off guard. And some of you, God still wants to punch you in the face. And I mean that in a most holy, sanctified way, of course. But as we didn't have his eyes to see, and I don't know that we handled this so well, but it was a good test for us because we're wanting to see that you can come as you are. And even if you're a mess... You're among people who are messy. Instead, I don't know. I've got a couple of reports that said they didn't feel comfortable with how we might have dealt with this guy. We maybe didn't, wasn't too good of a reflection. So guess what? 
affects us, let's own that. And say, yeah, it's hard because it touched something in me that reminded me of my past and I didn't like it. There was a reason why when somebody who is unsavory or seemed that way to me, why I could judge them and why I looked at them in a certain way and why I treated them because they were out of their mind somehow, drunk or stoned or whatever the situation was. Wow, just the kind of people Jesus is after. And there we are. I dare even speaketh with someone like that. Lest they might spew some of that corrupt nature upon me. Did anybody act like that last night? Of course not. Did we in our hearts? Where were we at with that? And the cafe has some limitations to it because it's guided conversation, which means we don't get to. But Joel, by the way, I don't mind telling you publicly, um, you did a great job in fielding and allowing him to express himself even though he was having a hard time doing that sometimes. And you were very gracious. And if you weren't, I was ready to help you be gracious. But, but he did a very good job, and, and some of us did. And I'm not pointing fingers because I don't actually know who that is. I ask for people to be, we're, we're looking for eyes. We're looking at ourselves. We want to know, how are we? See, and I need somebody other than me because I think I, I can get impressed with myself. See, I need somebody else to tell me. And so that's what, that's what some have done, and I, I believe they're, they've, got a, they've got a point. So arrogance can come and at any given point make us that we feel somehow superior. So there's a fine line between this, woe is me, I don't deserve anything, and this place of saying, I've arrived. See? And Paul the Apostle is a wonderful example of that because he says what a scumbag he is on one side, not doing what he knows he needs to and doing the things that he knows he shouldn't. And then yet he says, I haven't arrived. And yet here he is being used of God mightily. Uh-oh. So get moving, trailer. The other thing that will rob you of your spiritual identity is insult and attack. Insult and attack. Because what it does is it's so hard because you have to continually renew your mind and your heart, and you have to be doing that. And I'm going to give you a key to that in just a, just a little bit. So remind me of Psalm 19 before I, I end today, okay? Yes, sir. First one's accusation. I'll just give you my notes, by the way. Accusation. The second one is guilt which leads to shame. The third one is slumber. Literally, anybody fall asleep at the Christian wheel? That's what I'm talking about. Indecisiveness. Oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Ignorance is the next one. Arrogance. Insult slash attack. By the way, when we begin to do that, we begin to insult and we attack, we're participating in Satan's work. We're being used to fulfill and accomplish Satan's purpose because he's the one who's the accuser. What do you think that wagging of heads look like? (laughs) If you're Jesus, if you're the son of God, come down off of there. Oh, I think they look that ugly and more so. <laughs> Sniveling. 
oh, they don't look all that, you know, they, they can look sometimes really way cool with their accusation and attack. A little swagger. How about the next one is weariness or deprivation? You know, deprivation usually is tied to sleep, right? But deprivation means how about somebody who is not being loved? They don't feel the Father's love. They don't have good parental love. They don't have good Christian love. That what happens with that, with any deprivation, it actually creates a place in us. Do you know how fat cells reproduce? Who's a good person on fat cells here? Anybody? How do fat cells actually get to where they're ignited? Do you know how it happens? It happens in the opposite manner. It happens because you actually don't feed them. You know what fat wants to do? It has its own appetite. Once it has, you have a fat cell, which we're born with, right? They, begin, they have an appetite and they have a memory. They know what they want. And so it craves after it and it wants to draw that. I like this guy who said that we have a little, uh, what's it called? That we have a gauge in us, a fat gauge. And that's the reason you can lose weight and you'll go right back to it because you've got a gauge in you that tells you after you've come to a certain point, that's established. And you've got a gauge that's going to always seek its own. Makes sense, doesn't it? Weariness, deprivation. When, that, when deprivation and you yield to deprivation, all of a sudden what happens is there, it has negative consequences. When I'm lacking something, I'm going to compensate for it. It's a natural survival thing of your mind and of your physical body. So you know what it begins to do? It begins to eat the protein. It begins to eat the muscle. It's why a diabetic loses weight. Why one of the things they'll ask about is, do you have any uh, unexplained weight loss? Uh, Yes, but I like it. Well, let's look into this. Oh, you've been in the 600 category for months. No wonder it's eating up muscle mass. Deprivation in one area, not taken care of in this one, is causing now the something, the other negative impact. Okay, that's, that's, that's more than I even know. So if I'm wrong, correct me privately, would you please? Weariness, deprivation. Don't grow weary in well-doing. You'll reap a harvest if you don't quit or give up. And the last one says you end up with mixed results. It's the reason why we're not so content and we're not so satisfied because we end up, the more we dangle, and when we're under spiritual attack and our, our identity is being attacked, you end up kind of flip-flopping all the time. You end up being wishy-washy and mealy-mouthed. And then you got this kind of up and down, who knows what kind of day it is today. Oh, let's just do a raffle for it. <laughs> or you end up with no results. Well, I don't understand it. I've been sowing seed. You know why? Because when you're out there sowing righteous seed, there's another guy. And he comes under the cloak of dark. And he sows all kinds of weed. You get the story, don't you? So you've been sowing some good seed and he's been sowing some bad seed. And what happened is we looked out on the field and said, oh, forget it. See, I tried it again. Didn't work. Fooey. Say fooey. Fooey. You know what you have to do in the end? What you always got to do. You got to trust his plan. You got to know his plan for you. His plan's to prosper. To give you a what? Future. 
He didn't even talk about redeeming your past. He just talks about the future. Isn't that kind of interesting? We think about our past all the time. He just keeps trying to promote our future. What's before us? Set your hand to the plow. Go, 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 go. Yes. Yeah, but here's the problem. We got to sow seed and we got to water seed. See, that's the part of that with it. Being faithful with nothing, that isn't being faithful at all. What you'll reap out of faithful to nothing, if you're not sowing seeds, if you're not doing certain things of Christian behavior, what we ought to be doing to occupy until he comes, you'll end up reaping nothing. So you can be faithful with nothing, and guess what you're going to get? Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. You get the idea, don't you? You're wondering why you don't have any results? It's because you haven't been sowing any seeds. You're doing a lot of blabbing. You're doing a lot of thinking, a lot of ethereal kind of concepts. See, if you can see angel dust, but you can't keep your eyes from sinning against God, you're whacked. And I would trade the angel dust for eyes that say, I make a covenant so I don't sin against you. There's no stinking way I'm going to give myself over to that. In the final moments of Jesus' life, he showed how his identity was hidden in God. Do you remember what he said? He said in the garden that was one, that was part one. Part two was in the cross. Remember what he said? Into your hands. Yeah. I'm yours, baby. It's the only way to really live. And I've got to finish now with Psalm 19. We have communion. Can we carry that table over into the middle right here somehow? We'll need a couple guys to do that. Psalm 19 is rich with some solutions to life and how you can do what I've told you that we need to do. You need to know what your identity is. Guess how you're going to get your identity? The Word of God is what? Living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And what's it do? It cuts and it separates and it divides and it... Here's the deal. When I cut, I'm usually cutting away the fat. If you go with me to a steakhouse, which you're invited to take me at any point, if we go to a steakhouse, you'll see me off of that New York strip that I cut and I'll cut even that little quarter inch off of the best... best they leave the fat on for the juices and stuff, you know. But, but that doesn't mean we still have to eat it. So what I do is I cut all that off, and you'd say, man, you're a finicky little eater. I'm never taking you anymore. I'd be, that's okay. I got my one meal out of you. <laughs> the only way to really live is to die to self and trust God. That's what he says. If you want to live, you've got to die, right? So the way to really live, the way to live in your identity, to live in according to who he's made you, is to know what the Word of God says about you. Amen? So here, listen to this, what it says. This is just, I've told you that, word of God is living and active, sharper, all that. That's good, cool. But here's another part. He says it in Psalm 19. He says it this way. Uh, It talks about, you can read the first six verses. It talks about the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands day to day, pours forth speech, night to night reveals knowledge. So if you'll hang out with him, 
he has a way of edumacating us. Okay? Verse 7. No, I don't think that's a word. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. It says they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, here it is, key verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servants from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Verse 14. Do we have that? Let's put that up there. Is that a, yeah. Read that with me, everybody. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Wow. If you'll do that with the testimonies, with the precepts, with the commandments, see, with the law, What will happen is when you will put the Word of God into your soul, when you'll get it into your mind and you'll let that rule over the steps that you take and the choices that you make, then all of a sudden what will happen is you'll have a positive identity. It's a match. You're secure. And you'll begin to live a life that is separate and different from anything you've ever pursued before. You'll have victory and you'll have results that are glorified results in your life. Folks, that's what I'm after. You put a finger on something in my life, and I I want God to chop it off. You, Lord, if that's not you, get rid of it, please. Consuming fire. Go ahead, torch me. Because you know what we want? I want you to do what David says when he finds himself in sin. Remember what David said, Psalm 51? Beat me with hyssop. You do whatever you got to do to bring about the change in me that I'll bring glory to you. Amen? Let's receive communion this morning. Let me do a little soul searching. I did mine, you do yours. How's that? We won't point fingers. Unless you want me to call out your sins. You want me to do that? Guess who doesn't do that? God won't do it, but you know what he'll do? He'll convict you. So let's do that. Thank you, Jesus. Could you say a little prayer yourself? Holy Spirit, I welcome you to search me to know me. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Expose it, God, so that we can deal with it. So that I can bring it to the cross this morning, to the blood of the Lamb poured out for me. For the forgiveness of sins. So I agree that, God, you want me to be like Jesus. You want me to reflect, to be an honor of glory, a vessel for your glory. If it's with my mind, with my eyes, with my hands, with my feet, it might have been my belly, it might have been my appetite, it might have been whatever it's been, attitude. Maybe it's just that I've gotten so negative. Maybe it's that I've just, I'm, I'm actually faithless instead of faithful. 
instead of full of faith, full of doubt, then you aren't happy, and I'm not happy, and you're leaving me stuck so that I can only be happy in you. So speak to our hearts about secret sin even. Just between us, me and you. The good part about God is when he reveals your sin, he's going to give you the grace to be able to look at it. He doesn't want you playing with it. He doesn't want you petting it. Just there it is, it. Now, would you do this for me this morning? Do it for yourself, but do it for God, too. I want you to lift up that part. Every eye closed. Let's do that. Every eye closed for this purpose. Some of you need to grab your tongues because your tongue's your problem. Some of you need to grab a hold of your ears. Some of you need to grab the outside of the ears to say, I need to hear better. I need to listen more. Some of you need to put your fingers in your ears because of the things that you're hearing and listening to. Some of you need to cover your eyes. Some of you need to lift your hands. Some of you might have to grab a hold of your feet. Whatever that is, that he's given you an existence, you exist in this form, These, this is my dilemma right here, from head to toe, front to back, side to side, inside out and outside in. This is my dilemma. Whatever it is for you that he's speaking this morning, don't be checking out your neighbor. That's part of your issue. You allow God. Grab the tongue. Drinking problem, smoking problem, drug problem, food problem. Gently press on your eyes. You got vision problems, so we're not talking about physical malady. We're talking about spiritual calamity what you see is perverted and if you think you're all okay and you're all that in a bag of chips put your hand on your heart I thank you father that your word says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus And I can't say that I'm always in Christ Jesus, so I'm being condemned and accused, and I've got guilt and shame and all these other things, this laundry list that causes me not to feel so Christian, not to be so Christian. So we're asking you this morning, God, as we partake of communion, there is no sin that separates us from your love. I just agree with that right now in Jesus' name. Perfect peace. Hallelujah, Jesus. Did you deal with it? Today when you hear my voice, harden not your hearts. Today when you hear my voice, harden not your hearts. I speak in a whisper. I'll speak in a whisper. I don't shout at my kids, says the Lord. 
I can persuade you without having to raise my voice. We're saying louder, Lord. Louder, Lord. He's saying softer, saint. Softer, saint. Clean out your ears. Stop listening for what you want to hear and listen to what I'm telling you. Ouch. Anybody say ouch to that? Yeah, stop trying to hear what you want to hear and start listening to what I'm saying. All right, if you've done business with the Lord this morning, you've said yes to him and Christ is in your heart, then... He invites you to the supper table. And even if you were a former enemy of the cross, he says, go ahead, dip your hand with me. The cross doesn't hold any power beyond the purpose of redemption. Because God defeated what the cross was going to do and that it brought punishment and it it brought shame and it brought guilt and it brought death and he says I'm going to give you life so he overcame overcame the cross amen hallelujah Jesus let's have all the pregnant ladies come and help us serve would you do that some of you are right there come on we've got more pregnant women than I know what to do with that's a good thing isn't it by the way, Candy was serving in nursery the day that we laid hands on, but she came and told me after, yeah, if you'll do this, that uh, she's, uh, she's due. When are you due again? November, and you're due the end of August? October. We've got them. I mean, we're filling in the gaps. Who else? Is there anybody pregnant? Who's the newest mama if nobody else is pregnant? Anybody? Huh? Yeah, that'd be that'd be you, Kelly. Would you serve? Thank you, Jesus. And Julie's beautiful. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We'll have you on this side. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Ready? Go. Let's have you guys do this way, okay? We can flow up and and receive, and then we'll take it all together in just a minute. Thank you for the fruit of the cross, God. Thank you for the fruit of the cross. Hallelujah, Jesus. Yes, Lord. I want to go ahead and cue that video up. Just after we, uh, just before we take, we're going to watch that one more time. Can we do that?